Keeping Men Healthy in the Workplace, How to Reach and Help Those Who Are Struggling. I'm Nigel Cassidy and this is the CIPD Podcast. Now, grim stats on male suicide and mental ill health can only be telling us that men's health is being neglected. So many workplace initiatives around well-being, mental health and women's health, yet the vast majority of men face their health problems alone. That's both their mental health and physical. Three quarters of premature deaths from heart disease are among men, and they're twice as likely to die from drug or alcohol abuse. So how and why are working age men struggling? Is it something in the nature of our jobs or some dogged determination to man up rather than ask for help? Joining us to discover how to break the taboos and get men the support they deserve, we welcome a senior former diversity, equity and inclusion leader with HM Government. He's the founder and editor of the music football fatherhood social network MFF. He's Elliot Ray. Hello, Elliot. Hi, Nigel. Thanks so much for having me. Did I forget to mention QPR in your introduction? Yeah, that's important. That's an important part to mention. (laughs) We've the Director of Men's Health Services at Pepe, a health app that connects employees with health professionals. She's Helen Lake. Hello. Hello. Delighted to be here. And and I've no idea which football team you support. Well, (laughs) you know. The tune. Yeah, the, vo- the voice gives it all away. And back with us, the CIPD's own learning content lead, Steve George. Hello. Hi there, Nigel. I'm very happy to be here in this Brighton and the Hove Albion. <laughs> Excellent. Now, Steve, we'll start with you. Set the scene for us, if you would. I mean, do we have a gender health gap, do you think? I think we do have a gender health gap. There was research by Mind that was carried out in, in 2017 that found that, that one in three men attribute poor mental health to their, their work. Whereas women, on the other hand, in that research found that their job and problems outside of work were equal contributing factors. And do you think the COVID-style working we've been through has had some impact on how management understands how men are doing? It's, it's had, had an impact. I, I think in, in response to that particular question, I don't think it, it's limited just to, to men. Some of the research that's been carried out by CIPD has found that uh, only 29% of respondents said managers are confident and competent to spot early warning signs of mental ill health. And I think that that's across the board. Now, Elliot Ray, your professional work's bound up in this area. But from what I can tell, it was very much shaped by a kind of personal crisis when you became a father. So kind of what happened to you and what can we learn from how your employer responded? I was working at the in the civil service at the time, working in diversity and inclusion and our journey into parenthood was joyous in parts, but difficult in parts too. My daughter was born with an infection called group B strep, which for those that know is a very, and can be a very serious infection. So one in 10 babies uh, will pass away around another one in 10 will have a serious lifelong disability from the infection. So when my daughter was born, we didn't get the, the crying and the joy in the room. We got silence. She was gray, lifeless, not breathing. She needs to be resuscitated. My wife was also bleeding out and losing a lot of blood. So it was really, for, for me personally, uh, being a 31-year-old man at the time, it was definitely the first time in my adult life feeling completely helpless and completely vulnerable. And we'd spent two weeks in, in hospital with my daughter in ICU. And there were lots of ups and downs in those two weeks. Some days we would get really good news. Other days we'd get really bad news. And 
towards the end of that, she developed a really big bump on her on her head, and we had MRI scans, and it was a very very difficult time. And what happened to me personally was leaving the hospital when we got the good news we could finally go home. I had a couple of days at home a weekend, and it was back into quite a busy senior job. Uh, my wife was at home. She was diagnosed with postnatal anxiety. We were struggling to leave the house on most days. We would go to A&E all the time just because we were so worried. And I went from being like, you know, very extroverted and confident to uh, crying on the train on the way home from work to um, being knackered, but not being able to sleep. Just going over and over in my mind, trying to replay what had happened. And eventually, kind of by accident, I spoke to a health professional who diagnosed with PTSD and I got support through that. And what about your employer's response while you were having to take all this time off and clearly your mind wasn't on your work? So I would say that, you know, I had a, a supportive manager. I think I wasn't open about what exactly what was going on. So no one really knew at work. I think they could sense signs that things weren't okay and I wasn't myself. You know, I've really learned that we can be quite good as, as humans at putting on a brave face and a mask. I think I was quite good at that, you know, going to work and pretending. Obviously, there were, there were things where people look in, in hindsight can look back and see yeah, it wasn't quite there. But my employer, you know, this is 2016, I think we weren't really talking about mental health as much. There wasn't real support there for anyone, let alone kind of new dads. So I'm glad to see now there are more conversations being had around these topics. Well, Helen Lake, your clinical experience is in urology, the branch of medicine that focuses on, well, should we just say that the bits at the root of many men's troubles. But before we get on to some of that, um, do you relate to what we've just heard there from, uh, from yes, Elliot? I do. Absolutely. Um, Elliot, thanks for sharing that. Um, I, I think a lot of it as well, I'm not sure if you'll agree with this, but I think as the, as the, as the bloke in the scenario, you were being strong for your partner. You, you had to be there for her. She was the mum. She had gone through the trauma physically. You're the observer and be strong for your baby daughter. So that would be the face you would be presenting. But actually away from that, that's when it kicked in. Would you would you identify with that? Yeah, definitely. That that expectation, I guess, that I put on myself. And that I think a lot of men have grown up with and society also puts on a lot of men to to be the the rock and be strong and I you know I think that's 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 fine like I think there is sometimes where we do need to be strong and be the rock but there are also times where we you know we do need support we do need to have conversations we do struggle as well and there definitely needs to be spaces for men to be able to talk about their challenges but also you know helping men to overcome some of those ideas about masculinity that get in the way of us sharing you know, the reason that I didn't speak to anyone apart from my wife, I shared bits of what I was going through with my wife, but I didn't talk to my parents or work colleagues or friends. And it was about that idea of like, I'm, I'm the kind of the jokey one. I'm always the one at the party that's the loud person. You know, I have a loud voice. I speak loudly. I'm extroverted. So for me to come out and say, you know, I couldn't get off the train the other day because I was in tears or I was having in work, I was having an out of body experience and I couldn't talk when it came around to my time in the meeting or, you know, I wouldn't have done that then. Now I've grown and I'm more secure in myself and happy to do that. And I do it all the time now. But, you know, six years ago, I just wasn't in that place personally where that was something that I could do myself. 
So let's think a bit then about how understanding this kind of silent pressure men feel to keep it together and not seek help can kind of get in the way of helping people when they do have health problems. I mean, Steve George, would you say this factor we've just been hearing about from both Helen and Elliot is important in how you try and improve how your organisation helps its men? Uh, it, it is. It's, it's really important. And, and thank you, Elliot, for, for sharing that. It's, it's interesting hearing you say about not talking about it, which um, is, is my own personal experience as well. And I, and I think that's one of the ways that we, we can look at the resources that organisations can put into to help men so it, it, it's not just creating the the permission and the the role modeling to to enable and facilitate that kind of talking in those conversations it's also signposting the resources to people who may not be be comfortable having those conversations with colleagues perhaps because steve essentially what you've got here is people being expected or or asked to talk to managers who represent the organization that they blame probably for the issues they're facing. I mean, so how do you change that that whole sort of atmosphere? I mean, it, it's an enormous um, cultural piece. Uh, I think which which perhaps Helen is is better placed to answer some of that than, than myself. But I think certainly organisations ha- have responsibility to make sure that there are there are resources in place. Lots of organisations will have things like employee assistance programmes, um, so telephone lines that, that employees can call call anonymously. I think make, making it clear what access to, to support people have, the fact that it's it's um, okay and even expected to use those resources is an important part of that, that journey. Um, and I think as well, having some of those, those people in management positions, in those senior positions, uh, talking as openly as Elliot just has as well, is really supportive in, in helping those conversations take place. So Helen, talking about men with physical health problems, perhaps, as well as mental uh, related ones, um, how do you open up that conversation? I mean, how do you actually find what help men need? Yeah, it's extremely difficult because, um, you know, historically, if you look at the health service, it's not really set up for men at all. It's built around um, women and um, families. And the money doesn't, there's no money in it, if you like, to, to run a, a men's health clinic. And there's less touch points over the, over the years for men to go and, um, you know, get that into that way of describing how they feel or even to have a health check or to report a symptom or just to just to run something past. So by the time there is a problem, and I suppose biology-wise, men, you know, after adolescence, you, you not much happens, if you like, physically. Uh, but then when there is a problem, they have no idea often where to start. And the prevention mindset isn't there. And I think that, um, it, you know, I think that's a really interesting point, Steve, that research has shown that a lot of a lot of people don't know what resources are there in the organisation. There might well be um, mental health counsellors um, off-site, online stuff, but unless they know about it or it's easily accessible. So I think that's that's sort of the first thing. The other thing is um, the messaging around health, I feel, and I think increasingly evidentially, is that the messaging needs to be specific to gender. You know, the government has just um, rightly appointed a, a women's health strategy in its recognition that the certain messages need to be for women in the same way it really, really has to be for men. Because, they, first of all, they don't often recognise the signs or if they do, the, it's almost like a, you know, um, fear of disclosure, fear of weakness. They don't want to take time off. 
they want to let the side down you know that deeply embedded feeling again and they don't want to harm their career prospects you know it's just a, a question of thinking about what are the main issues what what's killing our men you know suicide is mental health is but also cardiovascular disease cancers prostate bowel lung this is where we need to start targeting okay so elliot ray from the work you do both with managers and with individuals on your forums just give us some ideas to how you might be able to target people to get some of this information over to them about how there is help available and they don't need to uh, suffer i think what helen said there in terms of really making communications and services specific to the people you're trying to target you know is so key so important i know the samaritans did some research about engaging men in health services and one of the top things that they identified was that the language and the content really needs to be specific so men know that they're going to go along to this session or engage in this service and they're going to their requirements are going to be met they're going to be talking about things that are important to them so when, if I'm working with an organization or I'm doing something through music football fatherhood I'm very clear in, in in everything that we do our messaging to make sure that it is for men sometimes it's a space where everyone is welcome sometimes it's it's a, it's a men's space and letting people know what we're going to discuss and how we're going to discuss it and really naming those things I think up front is very important but I think there's something in terms of the science and art behind facilitation and creating safe spaces and having really vulnerable conversations and I've had to learn this over my my journey over the last few years and there's two people in my life that I would credit for helping me um, a guy called Alec and a guy called Nick so Alec I met five years ago I just launched Music Football Fatherhood I wrote a piece on the media he got in contact and said he wants to be involved and I'll never forget this I was in my parents house in my old bedroom <laughs> the, the little bedroom I had and Alec called me and said that he wants to get involved in music football fatherhood because during the birth of his second son, his wife passed away. And I remember in that conversation, I wasn't ready. I didn't, I felt overwhelmed. I didn't feel equipped to have that conversation with him and getting to know him over the years. We're good friends. Now the things I've learned from him is that it, it, he, he wants me and others to listen to, to validate feelings, to acknowledge, to say, thank you, not to try and come up with a solution all the time, not to say it's going to be okay or it happened for a reason, but get good at listening and, and, and encouraging and asking the right questions. And so a few years later, I met Nick, Nick Cliffrow on LinkedIn, and he had a 10-year-old son and he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. He had two more months left to live. And I reached out to Nick on LinkedIn and said, do you want to come on our podcast and have a conversation about it? And so we spoke and I had one of the best conversations I've ever had in my whole life with Nick. But that was because I'd learned from being friends with Alec how to have those conversations. And I think when it comes to us asking men to be more open, which, which we are doing and we should do, we also have to understand how to hold space for people and how to make sure that that conversation is going to be a good one for, for everyone and a productive one and, and one that we want to have again and one that encourages people to share with us. So the work I do in organizations is all about that. It's all about how do we build deeper relationships? How do we have vulnerable conversations? And I think when it comes to men's mental and physical health and that barrier in terms of opening up and seeking help and support, for me, that's at the core of it all. 
Steve George, these are not the sort of obvious conversations for line managers to have with people on the payroll. I just wondered from your own personal experience and then the training you've subsequently done, how you've kind of evolved your thinking, if you like, about how you help people in this way. Mm. I think what Elliot said around being a being a good listener and not being like you have to solve everything. I think sometimes as a line manager, it can be uh, it can be easy to jump to finding a solution if someone comes to you with a, with a challenge. And sometimes um, even being explicit and saying, do, do, would you like me to listen? Would you like me to solve it? Or, 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 or is it something else could, can help? There's the, the, the TV adverts that showed that the asking how people are, then asking how they really are. So reading between the lines of what they, what they say, which is incredibly effective. Um, you, can, you can ask people how they are and they can jump straight to a list of the tasks they're doing, which um, is, is always a sign that maybe you need to dive a bit deeper. I think in terms of training line managers, it's also being aware that if you're managing five people, you're potentially carrying quite a strong burden for those for those people as well. People will confide in you and carrying that information is, is quite hard for line managers as well. So while we are saying they need to listen, we need to recognise what what that requires on them as as well. And there's also something quite big in making people less afraid of saying the wrong thing. So, um, and I think that can sometimes be a barrier to those conversations is people won't ask a question in case it's the wrong wrong question or they say the wrong thing, fear of causing offence. Um, so, again, just guidance on how, on how to have those conversations and really be human-led, not process-led, I think is the big thing for me. So, 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 so see the human, not the, not the process or the employee or the, the, um, the transactional side, keep, keep it yeah. personal. And Helen, for managers who want to be really practical, I mean, is there any data that you could collect about um, how men are? I mean, I suppose absenteeism would be an obvious one if they're going to the doctor a lot or something. Yes, I think um, you've flagged some interesting things, Steve, where you said that if you ask the question and suddenly they're immersed in a list of things, I think I think if you know a person, if you know your team, you do notice that... Um, Maybe they're not engaged um, as they have been in the past or they don't come to social events or um, suddenly they're they're pushing back on projects or they're just, you know, they're just getting Mm. on with it. I think sometimes those are the signs. But yeah, I think it, it. I think it's you know it depends on your organisation and and whether you've got team leads or you always get on with somebody better than somebody else. You know, your team lead might not be the person you want to go to anyway. It might just be everybody has their own people who they get on with but, but I think just to take note and uh, watch behavior sick time you know we've just had um looking at some figures for the construction industry which I know is a, is a different sort of you know proposition when you're looking at supporting your workforce because they're out there you know is that um 48 percent of construction workers are, are being out on with stress related now you know whether demonstrating anything before that you know a lot a lot of the problems in the construction industry are sort of you know around culture and um you know worry about finances and working away from home and and alcohol related so I think there's a lot more can be done in those kind of industries Helen I yeah I think that's that's really true in terms of looking at the industry's um construction we know there are there are some deep problems in some areas in, in that particular industry and I think what you're saying around knowing your team and building relationships is is at the key I think there are a few things that we could look out for if we know people are going through particular life experiences so we know when it comes to fatherhood you know new dads one out of 10 new dads will experience some symptoms of postnatal depression in their baby's first six months 
we know that parental alienation can be a trigger for poor mental health, um, a bereavement. So if you know someone in your team has lost someone close to them recently, that could be something to look out for. And looking at things like relationship breakdowns as well. So there are certain things that if we get to know our team and we build a relationship with, we'll, we'll find out if they are experiencing these life events. Not to say if they are, they're going to suffer from poor mental health, but they may be more likely to. And then a lot of the um, symptoms that Helen mentioned, you know, if someone is overworking or you see, see they are drinking more or that they're taking more risks, they're, they're isolating themselves. You know, they can be symptoms. And I think it is up to all of us to educate our, ourselves a little bit more about causes and symptoms, just so we can be aware of the people around us. You know, we know that one in eight men at any given time will be suffering from a common mental health problem like depression anxiety OCD and when we think about that stat one in eight that's that's a lot that's potentially you know someone in your team someone in your family they are likely to be experiencing poor mental health right now so the more we can be aware of the symptoms and and potential causes I think it's better for how we can build relationships and support people well that is such good advice Elliot but it is quite difficult to tell you say looking for the signs I just picked this up Online, on LinkedIn, you know how sometimes people bear their souls on LinkedIn and get comments from other people. This is a guy who was clearly suffering uh, mental health issues. He says what he was feeling before the crisis, constantly on edge. There was good news in the company, but I felt nothing. I was swearing at colleagues, micromanaging, constantly checking my phone, not really present at work or home. I had dark thoughts, then there was the crisis, and he talks about how he was helped. But, I mean, most of those symptoms might describe the average overstressed manager, Steve George. Yeah, I think it's um, just to pick up on on uh, what, what Helen said about absenteeism being one of the, the, the signs and then touching what, what you've just read out, Nigel, and Elliot talking about behaviour at work as well. I think it's, it's also to look at some of those things like uh, presenteeism so people coming in when they when they are real so again overworking through that or working when they're on holiday these are all some of the indicators as well and um, that we can keep an eye keep an eye out for I think when when something becomes a consistent pattern of behavior as opposed to to a, an anomalous piece of behavior then that's something again that should be that should be flagged as a concern again to that that example that, that you just read out Nigel in my experience I think one of the things to keep an eye out for is is a, a kind of steady in, incremental decline. So the, I think there can sometimes be this sense when I'm talking about mental ill health that it's it's you, you reach a point where you where you can't go on where you kind of hit a rock bottom, and it's not necessarily that's that's where you get to. And it's that steadily incremental decline is something that that we can all keep an eye out for with our colleagues and managers can keep an eye out for as well. Is there an element of personal experience there, Steve? Do I detect? Uh, yeah, I, I was. Um, this was my pre-CIPD career. I was. I was put on a project um, specifically and explicitly because I was. Uh, I was a man and therefore strong enough to deal with a challenging customer. And very similar to many people's experience, when I couldn't cope, I didn't feel I was able to talk about it um, because of my own thoughts about masculinity and the fact that I should be strong enough to to deal with it. But that was very much that that incremental decline and me thinking oh it's not quite bad enough to seek help yet it's not quite bad enough to seek help yet until you I, I fell off a cliff yeah and, and and I think this is also true of physical symptoms in my experience as a clinician these incremental changes that if they were stopped in the tracks earlier so if men had more information about what the red flags are 
then it would be caught at a better time and it would stop the falling off the cliff. We need to put that fence up at the cliff and stop that happening physically and mentally. I, I love that, that metaphor, putting the fence up at, at the cliff. I think one of the ways that we can do that as, as organisations and, and, and as people really is that there, there are calendars of events. So um, as, as we were recording this, November's going on, for example, and um, there are calendar of, calendars of events throughout the year that we can make people aware of. And it just keeps that trickle effect of awareness of conversation, of normalising talking about these things, which again, helps people find resources and, and, and just helps raise awareness without necessarily having to have very specifically targeted vulnerable conversations necessarily. And Elliot Ray, give us a bit of a sense of how you have targeted men with events or programs how do you actually hit the spot where people otherwise would not have thought about listening to a, a bit of health advice so we always find some commonality men are very different <laughs> just because we're both men doesn't mean we're going to have anything in common or 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 want to to go to the same event so we do try to find some commonality obviously football is a big one so we partner with lots of different clubs. Um, we have an, an event with Arsenal at their stadium coming up at the end of November, which is which is really amazing. We've worked with Kings Park Rangers and Brentford. We've done events called Dads Do Hair, where we come together and learn how to do our children's hair, which is really interesting. On our online sessions, we might theme them. So sessions around being a new dad, maybe around finances, you know, make it a topic so people can come along. They're coming for the community but they're also coming along for the topic as well i think there's also the the understanding of a lot of male friendships and male relationships and how we interact with each other and there's this idea of kind of shoulder to shoulder and, and face to face and a lot of the research shows us that men are more likely to have kind of shoulder to shoulder relationships with their friends which is you know we do something together we do an activity we go and watch a sport we play pool we do something Whereas women are much more likely to do that, but also have the face-to-face, -face, you know, sit down and have dinner and, and coffee together. So when we're designing our events, we actually start with a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder activity. So the dads do here was a perfect example. You know, we're all there trying to learn how to do a French plat and a braid. <laughs> some of us are good, some of us weren't so good, but you know, so we're learning. And we're literally shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder and we're having a laugh and we're getting to know each other and it's really good. And after that, we sit down, we have a book reading, we do face-to-face -face activities, peer, peer discussions, group discussions. So it's really just understanding the psychology of, of how a lot of men will kind of interact in the environment mm. and how we kind of engineer that to make sure we create the conversation that we want. And Helen, you sent me before the podcast uh, a picture of an event with a large number of guys in high-vis. Absolutely incredible. Is this from the construction industry? Tell us about that. Yeah, so sort of moving on from what Elliot is saying is striking the chord with, with men where they will come and listen and have that shoulder-to-shoulder um, -shoulder and face-to-face. -face. So there's a, um, a local charity in Durham, which is actually reaching now more nationally, called Man Health. And um, the guy who, um, who brought that into being runs these courses called Blokes, Brains, Brawn and Balls. So the messages are clear there. So what they talk about is mental health, how they feel in themselves and the killers of men, what they need to know, what the red flags are. 
testicular cancer, there's been an increase in testicular cancer, 27% since the early 1990s. Prostate cancer is now, has overtaken breast cancer as the most diagnosed cancer in this country. So it's massive. And, and then also it's the language, isn't it? So straight away, you know what you're signing up for. You're gonna talk about those issues. And there was a room full of blokes in the high visit and, the, and they turned up in numbers. And these were people who would have never heard a, a health message or, or even thought about their health for years. Absolutely. Give men the opportunity and they will they will turn up. And as you say, cult culturally, um, not everybody's going to be interested in football, but I think we're talking about mushroom foraging the other day or whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> you get men together um, and they will start talking. Yeah, I, I've got that, that one down for the CIPD team. Yeah. Mushroom foraging. Definitely. Yeah, made a note of that. But, but it's, it's very powerful. You know, women are very good at organising themselves. You know, you just got to look at Davina McCall with the, you know, the menopause and, and all of this. But, you know, men have issues with hormones as well. And, you know, men need, they, they need to be able to, um, you know, if you signpost and they get organised, then things will happen. Look at what works and build on that. Which is a good cue to go back to Steve George. Putting all this together, have you any thoughts about, how you move forward in your organisation with a bit more understanding, hopefully, of uh, how you can get a message to people. I like Elliot's approach around the, the targeting men in, in the messaging. I, th I think that's 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 really important. Uh, I, th I think what Helen was talking about around the um, the raising awareness and and creating those those spaces for men to have those conversations and, and almost letting those conversations develop organically. So you, f you facilitate creating the space for it. I think as, as organisations, making sure that, that managers are, are, are trained in how to have the conversations, but also as, as colleagues, we're, we're aware of who our, our peers are and what they're going through, and we're keeping an eye out as well and creating permission for those support networks. In your experience, Steve, is this best left to train counsellors? Uh, are many line managers able to have these conversations successfully? I think, I think from, from my perspective, I, th I think everyone has a responsibility for it. I don't think you can say it's just a line manager responsibility or an organisational responsibility. I think organisations are an extension of the society we want to live in. And if we want to live in a, in a society that is compassionate and caring and emphasises health and men's health and men's mental health, our organisations should reflect that. They shouldn't exist in a bubble which is distinct from society and distinct from community where the normal rules don't apply. So I think it is, it's everyone's responsibility and what organisations can do is create the permission for people to, to take on that responsibility and the space for it to, to happen. So Helen, what would you say are the best ways of getting these conversations going in organisations? Yeah, I mean, it has to it has to come from from the top. I think that um, in your team, there's, there'll always be people who are better at it than than others. Um, and I think sometimes where I've seen it really work is to send interested parties, shall we say, on an ambassador men's uh, health link person course. The Men's Health Forum do a really good one. Um, Man Health do one, the Man, Man Ambassador Programme. And then they are then supported in that role because it's it's quite a responsibility, isn't it, to um, to take on um, facilitating other people's health. And these are great um, programmes to um, allow you to be advocates and to know how to go about reaching the people you need to reach. 
but definitely um, I think the important thing about the campaigns, uh, national campaigns such as Movember, International Men's Day, is that you can, you know, utilise those uh, dates in the calendar and start getting your message in. I mean, an, an important thing that springs to mind for me is, you know, self-examination of your testicles. Now, you know, boys at school, do they get that? I'm I'm, I'm not so sure. You know, they, they come into the workplace and they don't go to the doctors. What who's Who's telling them that this is important, like once a month? men should examine their testicles and it's not just men in their 20s men in their 40s get testicular cancer the rates have gone up so almost to have a you know a, a, a reminder you know check your balls and, and and keep repeating repeat the messaging and what i'm getting from helen there elliot is that maybe in future one size health and well-being initiatives just aren't going to work i mean we do need to be gender specific for the men here yeah we do we do i think uh, we're getting to that point where a lot of organizations are realizing that i think it's, it's it's a new it's a new conversation you know where i think we're at the start of something here you know i've been talking about fatherhood and and mental health for for a few years but i would say covid and the and the lockdown and i think us all living differently being in our houses with our families or on our on our own working from home and also just being more vulnerable with conversations in general around well-being. I think we are in a very interesting and exciting time now in terms of how we can develop this sector of support for men in organisations. So I'm kind of optimistic that the support is going to improve. I think that there is a long way to go, though. And I think that question around, you know, are managers equipped to have these conversations? I think Steve put it really well to say that the workplace is just a reflection of society and if we, us, you know, our family members, the people that we know, we are not having these conversations, it's hard to expect, you know, managers to be having those conversations. They are just normal people that exist in this world with us. So unless that we as a society are kind of getting better, and I'm talking about, you know, media, the health services, government policy, like when those things can, can improve and change and move with the times, we will see people being a bit more aware and a bit more able to, to address these issues with men. And talking of understanding people's situation, Elliot, your TV documentary, Becoming Dad, uh, touches on some of these issues. Um, it's being repeated, I think, is it on the 14th of November, if you're listening fairly soon after this podcast has come out, or people can find it on the BBC iPlayer? Yes. So please check out the documentary. I think it's the, one of the first shows that really bring these issues into the mainstream. You know, I think the conversations have been happening a lot um, within academics for years and in pockets of interested people and advocates and people who've had personal experiences so I think it's what this show is trying to do is really bring those issues to the mainstream I think I think what Steve was saying there in terms of just increasing awareness thank you very much indeed uh, let me just thank Elliot Ray from MFF Helen Lake from Pepe and the CIPD's own Steve George for giving us so much to think about and act on uh, the CIPD itself has a lot of well-being support and guidance uh, to help people in the workplace from supporting mental health at work and employee financial well-being to managing drug and alcohol misuse some of the things we've been talking about today and guidance on responding to suicide risk uh, in the workplace uh, quick mention of last month's uh, four-day week company case study and if I may say so a really in-depth discussion around how you make it work uh, get lots of reposts for that people finding that podcast very helpful so dig in if you haven't heard that one yet 
Next time, making your learning and development count, we'll be exploring the need for reflection and reflective practice in LT. But until then, from me, Nigel Cassidy, and all of us here at the CIPD, it's goodbye. Thank you.